This week on the Indo Daily. People just trampled over me. Like nobody stopped to see this baby is on her own. I was found walking. Um, a fireman found me. It was a massive shock, uh, I think, to people um, in and out of the golfing world. Um, they appear to everyone as the golden couple. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the Core. Hello and welcome to the Throwin Independent.ie's GAA podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined as always by Michael Verini. Michael, good morning. Uh, great morning. A great, great morning. Yeah, I, this has been twenty twenty one has been like every introduction nearly to the throwing has nearly been a positive, awfully news bulletin, and they don't get any more positive than yesterday. My voice is a bit croaky. Um, there the thirst and want and hunger for success in awfully yesterday uh, just led to great celebrations and just euphoria all around the county and all around Dublin yesterday just just brilliant we couldn't no one could have envisaged we had Michael Dignan on a couple of months back but no one could have envisaged you know that we'd get an All-Ireland at any grade this quickly um, and it was just greeted with absolute jubilation everywhere Yeah memorable Ireland uh, under 20 final victory over Roscommon you know Shane Larry in the stands you know obviously Unbelievable know scenes like just to yeah. see the passion like there's here's a guy who's won an Open Championship and an Irish Open and like did he celebrate yesterday more than he celebrated those two possibly Yeah no it was brilliant to see and I know you were talking to him over the weekend as well you know to get more of an insight into his kind of contribution to the GA and obviously everyone knows he's steep in history you know his father obviously and uncle having played on that five in a row team or Five in a row denying team um, in, in 1982, but you know that boost that we talked about a few weeks ago. Now you're seeing tangible benefits. It must be such a lift for the county. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, like Declan Kelly, the manager, talked about yesterday uh, when they beat Dublin. It was almost like you know the. The, the dam started bursting almost. They just believed they just needed to get a title under their belt. All of a sudden, they go and play champagne football to beat Cork. And then an absolute trillium finally yesterday. And kind of in typical Offaly fashion, like the Jack Bryan's goal uh, had them up by seven on the 58th minute. And Roscommon had it back to a goal and had a goal chance in injury time. We don't usually do things too easily. So the, it was probably the drama only added to it. But like, if you go down to that team, like, Cottle Donoghue wing forward, like a couple of Brian Howard-esque catches there underneath the Hogan stand when they really needed somebody to stand up. Uh, Jack Bryant, obviously, a real talented forward. Cormac Egan, who was only minor last year, another brilliant forward. Aaron Kelleghan, son of Pascal, that used to play with Offaly as well, kicked four from play yesterday. Morgan Tyne in midfield. Like, just, there's a lot of talent that 
that we could uh, you know that we could potentially mine over the next couple of years. But Declan Kelly did say as well in fairness, and he's right. Like just the call for patience, like that will be probably three or four years before these guys can really make a mark or would hope to make a mark at senior level. But it's different with like a Dublin or a Cork winning an underage title. Like this, this will set this could well set us up for the next decade. We'll you know really look after these lads and keep them developing through and try and get as many through to the senior ranks as possible. Just, it was just brilliant to see at the final whistle. Um, I was in the dressing room after yesterday, actually. It was, it was Declan Kelly, the manager, invited myself and another journalist in. And it's actually mad to see how calm they were. No, it was probably an hour after. But just almost that they expected it and that chatting to a couple of the players and that this is only like part of what they want to achieve, that they want to achieve a lot more. And that that's just great great to hear because maybe times in the past we would have just settled for something and that was it but looks like we have a lot of ambition now and yeah it's, it's exciting times yeah and it was one of the kind of many dramatic moments across a very exciting weekend we're going to be joined by breed stack a little later on to discuss the ladies football semi-finals dublin and mead uh qualifying for the decider there but first we're going to look back on that epic dublin mayo game another chapter to one of the most thrilling kind of rivalries over the last 10 years we're delighted to have David Brady and Karen Whelan on the line with us. Good morning, guys. Good, well, not about All good. All good. I'm sure it is, David. We might come to you first. I know you've been coming on our show for a number of years now, and usually after Dublin Mail games, you were you were probably a little deflated and disappointed. But in terms of the journey this team has been on, where, where does Saturday night rank in terms of you know the comeback to finally beat this Dublin team after their long period of dominance? You know, where does this rank? Um, I think well, a little a little deflated would be an understatement um, for the last ten years, I suppose. And uh, look, um, it is it is a monumental um, moment again for uh, for Mayo because uh, it has been a decade or more. 2012, I think losses. Um, 2012 is the last time we won, but it really is um, it really is a milestone, and I think. Look at you have to, and not that the talk is all Mayo the last few day, two days. Look at they deserve that credit, but I think it's the class and the caliber of a team that bet uh, a team that have went, um, you know, gone through the last the last ten years nearly dominating um, GA in every way, shape, or form in Ireland, and I think that was a big achievement for for Mayo to beat the team that have dominated um, GA football. Um, in, in, in every way, shape, or form. And I think that was that was a big thing. And I think suppose personally as a Mayo man, as a Mayo person, as a Mayo supporter, um, we have always said it we're on this journey with the team. And the team uh, represents the people and I think people have been uh, time and time again we have come up short and we have failed and it's been very disappointing against Dublin. Um because they've been their their class just eluded us um, by the, the smallest margin in, in, in games and it was great to get one to get that one uh, victory and I suppose it was uh, to, to beat Dublin such a, dom- a dominant Dublin team uh, one of the greatest we'll ever see in GA Yeah we'll get into maybe what Mayo did in a little more detail in a minute but Kieran, just first from a Dublin perspective you know as David mentioned there how dominant they've been I think it's over 2,500 days since their last championship defeat seven years ago against Donegal at this stage like, how do you reflect on it? With a, you know, two two days later now, just having let the game maybe settle for 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 a few days. What what are your ultimate thoughts now? 
Yeah, well, firstly, well, I'm, I'm a bit worried about Davey. He doesn't sound too great there. He's either recovering from a couple of days on the beer or he has cold. <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if, if he only knew, if he only knew, but you're looking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, listen, I suppose, well, to answer, answer the question, you know, I think and the balance of the game on Saturday night, you couldn't take anything away from Mayo. Mayo deserved it. And and uh, in in some ways, it was it was nearly a role reversal of, of, of games in the past where, you know, Mayo had been quite dominant in the first half and and, and Dublin had come out and uh, had the legs on them and had the bench and had uh, that extra power, physicality, and, and, and were able to overrun Mayo in, in those in the closing either third or fourth quarters. That's exactly kind of what happened uh, the the other night. And I think it's probably it's probably a huge credit to James Horn in that he has transitioned this team so quickly. Um, the amount of players that Mayo did also lose in the last couple of years, and the young guys he's brought in combined with you know even more experienced guys, Parago Hor is a bit older and stuff like that. Um, and and you know, you got a sense from Dublin in that particularly, you know, they were still 12 points to seven up, you know, with 10 minutes to go in normal time. Um, and you would expect that Dublin would close that out and control the game. And that's been their key strength for many a year. Um, but they're outscored six points to one in, in, the, in the closing 15 minutes. Uh, and it looked like they just didn't have the legs. Uh, they couldn't get the ball into the forward, forward unit. They were making basic mistakes and, and, and being turned over by the sheer pressure of Mayo uh, because they had really pushed up man on man. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they, they, had, they had saved a bit in the tank. I'm sure James Horan wasn't, wasn't too happy at halftime, but because they, played, they did play a kind of a game of containment, but they didn't want to concede a goal. Uh, in the first half, there was no doubt about that, and they were getting bodies back in front of the square, and they kind of stepped off Dublin. But maybe they kept a bit in the tank, knowing that when they went after Dublin man to man and really went up the pitch, uh, which they did, particularly in that last quarter, um, they they showed that they were just a team on the way up, and, and Dublin's legs were, were were really gone, and they fully deserved it. Yeah, Michael, from your perspective, you know the way the game played out, as Kieran referred to there, you know, at halftime, Dublin with a 10-4 lead, 62 minutes on the clock, they're 12-7 up. Then you have Tiermit O'Connor's miracle play to keep the ball in, and that seemed to be like a, a momentum switch. And from there on, Mayo really did dominate. Like, what what changed for you in the closing stages? Because while well, Mayo probably the better in the second half, I think it was only three points to two, maybe, you know, up to the 62nd minute in that second half. So for you, what changed? Yeah, we were actually hurling ourselves Sunday or Saturday evening. So we we're kind of, I was on the line, unfortunately, carrying a knock and we were kind of looking at bits and pieces of it. And you're just thinking at half time, you're thinking, okay, Dublin are in complete control here. Even 10 minutes into the second half, they're in complete control. And then there was a, a mixture, as Kieran says, there was a mixture of, I suppose, the pace and energy uh, and exuberance that Mayo brought to the table, probably typified with that Dermot, Dermot O'Connor incident where, like, it's just, it's a superhuman kind of a thing. I'm surprised there's not a meme flying around of, you know, him diving to, like, and just the, the ball is recycled then and Kevin McLaughlin puts it over. But there was so many uncharacteristic mistakes made by the dubs as well. Um, just give it, turn, like, they could, I couldn't believe that James McCarthy was, was turned over at that stage when he was. Or I don't even know if he was turned over. I think he nearly turned over himself. Um, Aaron Byrne came on at one stage. Uh, he was only on the field about 30 seconds. He kicked away a ball straight away. Just really really on Dublin like things were happening uh, part of that was uh, part of that was self-inflicted and uh, another big part of it was just what Mayo were bringing to the table like the high press at the at the end of normal time was just you were looking at it and the ball was 
the ball was back with, with Evan Comerford and he, like, he never looked comfortable. Davy Byrne never looked comfortable. They were just right up on top of them um, and they forced some really, really uncharacteristic mistakes from Dublin. They nearly had Dublin spooked, I would say, uh, in normal time and again at the, end of, uh, at the end of extra time as well. And just, just an unbelievable effort uh, from a group of guys that just... They just didn't want to take no for an answer the other night. Um, so it's probably you know there was some of it was self inflicted from Dublin, but a lot of it was the pressure that Mayo were putting on them. Um, it was just phenomenal to watch. I've never, I haven't seen a spectacle like that in a long, long time from a game. You know, a lot of people were looking at it or barely looking at it up until half time and maybe glancing at other things, and then all of a sudden, as Mayo and Dublin always do, they just draw you in. Um, and it was just a, a remarkable finale. It was just unbelievable stuff. Yeah, David, like, what did that moment from Dermot O'Connor, you know, you know, mean for that Mayo team and the Mayo support? Like, that kind of typifies the journey they've been on, that kind of never say die, never give in attitude. Yeah, look, at and, and the boys have mentioned that there is that incident um, where he just, you know, it is the old cliche game of inches, but um, him getting his foot to that ball and preventing it from going out, and I think it was the spark that, like, the the point that Kevin McLaughlin scored from it, um, like you know, took nearly forty yards out, uh, left foot over, and that just kind of went right. That I think it just created a, a whole momentum shift to say we're in this, and that's where that momentum came from. Um, and look at we don't know what would happen if that ball did just did go over the line, um, and out. And uh, I do think Dublin probably when we look back at it again. Um, when you see over the last decades of 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 um, success for Dublin, I think Stephen Cluxton controls a lot of the game, and him not being there, um, we'll never know what would have happened if he was. But I, I I think Dublin failed to control, and they've controlled a lot of the football, and uh, they've been allowed to do that. Uh, Mayo allowed it in the first half, but I think that whole kind of enthusiasm and and sheer resilience and pressure that Mayo put on. It just started creating kinks. And I think Dublin then, it was very uncharacteristic of them. You know, there was numerous times you're going, why are they kicking a long ball in? Why did they just, you know, put that, punt that ball 30 yards in the air when they just should have kept possession? And it allowed it allowed easy turnovers from my own perspective because Mio gathered the ball and uh, they're on the counter-attack as well. But I, I do think they... The impetus of their substitutes, um, fresh men, fresh legs, regardless of their name, their caliber, their experience, like the likes of Enda Hesham, but massive, um, I suppose, kind of sparked and, and, and just his 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 freshness, um, fresh in my own. I, I think probably the time and when when uh, Aidan O'Shea was taken off, like Aidan is the captain. Um, he's the fulcrum of that team over the last decade as well. That kind of goes, well, Jesus, it's up to me now um, because I have to lead. And I, I think not alone did a whole, you know, a, a whole new breed of, of leaders step up, um, the likes of Jordan Flynn and the Hessian. Uh, I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Um, but the old brigade um, came back to life. Uh, the likes of Lee Keegan, uh, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, we tend to write players off once you, you come next now you're near 30 years of age uh, in this world now but he was uh, he was like a new man and uh, he was he was fantastic and, and this, the, the the likes of, of, of Matty Rowan continue to put in a, a monumental amount of work 
Um, and it's it's from that basis and from that, you know, ball going over, not going over the line by Jim O'Connor, um, that it just it's it just it created a tidal wave of momentum and I think just that positivity from that point going 12-7 like Dublin <laughs> would have been in a position to close the game out at that stage but um, it, 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 turned, it turned the game on its head Yeah Kieran, like the, the lack of composure by Dublin at the end as David mentioned so uncharacteristic you know was that down to Mayo's pressure was that just down to I suppose there has been a bit of a malaise in the team throughout the, the, the championship campaign you know what, what, what do you put your finger on for that one? Um I think if to look at it closely, possibly maybe the impact of the bench and the lack of experience coming off the bench. And, uh, you know, if you go back, you know, okay, maybe over the last two years, Dublin really haven't regenerated anyone and found two or three players. And you look at the strength that they used to have coming off the bench, and particially in that last 15 minutes, you know, you okay, you'd Evan and go, and you Davy Bourne, who was out on his feet, who had, who had done a lot of good work throughout the day. And, that there was just wasn't options there. There wasn't guys willing to take the ball and there was a bit of lack of experience. And, you know, Dublin probably played panic football, particularly in extra time when, you know, when they went to three down, you're thinking, yeah, it's always it's always difficult to close, uh, pull back three points in extra time, uh, just to nature the way the game kind of unfolds. But they, they kind of panicked very early and, and start um, hitting silly balls into forward line. Mayo had bodies back. Mayo just swept up. Uh, and control the tempo of the game. So, like for me, that like like if you go back to the first half, Dublin looked like the old Dublin. Um, very solid defensively. We're doing well in midfield. They were, they were, their interchange playing forward line was a little bit better than it had been in recent weeks. Um, but in the second half, when Mayo got on top of some of Dublin's key players, uh, Dublin got very little off their bench. Where Mayo really got a lot off their bench, and uh, you know they like I think Mayo were nearly forced forced into playing to their strengths to a certain degree. Coming in six points down, and the Hessian comes on, and it was kind of saying, right, let's ask questions to these guys, let's let's run at them, and and the pace that Mayo had across that middle third, even with Connor Loftus, uh, Matthew Ruan, Derm O'Connor, the guys working their socks off, and and Dublin just couldn't match that, and and. And, and struggled when they came in, and all year, you know, you you know, the forward line hadn't been really ticking, and and to a certain degree, maybe maybe some Dublin Dublin's forward play has become predictable. That if it's not if the first ball's not on, they recycle, and and their forwards aren't really taking defenders on or really running at defenders and getting guys on the shoulders and breaking game lines. There's been very very little of that from Dublin. They've missed that with Jack McCaffrey gone. You know, James McCarthy used to come with these angled runs. They used to have set plays coming from deep, where they used to carve open defenses. We haven't seen that. Um, and, and and Dublin didn't have those go-to plays to go to in that second half uh, and just lacked that punch up front when Conor Callan and Kilkenny were, were relatively tied up man-to-man. And Michael, one of the big talking points across the day was the performance of referee Conor Lane. Obviously, the John Small tackling on McLaughlin, on McLaughlin having surgery on a broken jaw was one of the big ones. There was a few other contentious decisions across the afternoon. You know, what did you make of, of his performance? Yeah, um patchy I'd say to say the least um, I, I, I still I don't know if we've got a definitive answer as to why the as to why the 45 was was retaken uh, some are saying that Philly McMahon walked in front of him I, I didn't see that by the time he don't think he had the ball placed when he when he did that uh, maybe it was to do with Kieran Kilkenny and Parak Ahora kind of pulling at each other just behind the play but very very hard to uh it's very, very hard to decipher actually what exactly the reason was. Others are saying Mayo had a 16th man on the pitch. If Mayo had a 16th man on the pitch, 
you'd find it hard or creditable that they would be rewarded for having a 16 man on the pitch by getting another shot at the 45. But just a word on on, on Rob Henley, who has taken um, a fair degree of flack in recent years to, to you know, to have the, the cojones to, you know, put that ball back down a second time and rifle it over the bar and just just to see even him embracing with uh, with his parents and girlfriend and family after the match is just like that's that's kind of what what it's all about back to your question on on the on the referee um you know the the John Small incident has definitely been highlighted a lot and Oh McLaughlin's going to be out for the foreseeable future um o- over that incident uh I, I will say this it, in normal time it was very very hard to see what people are putting up uh, in still photos now. When you look back at it a couple of times, it's a lot easier to see it. So I do have uh, I do have some sympathy with Connor Lane on that one, but there were uh, there were a couple of bizarre decisions uh, throughout the, throughout the game, and maybe to some extent at the end of normal time he was almost uh, leveling things back up in Mayo's favour for a couple of uh, bogeys that he'd made kind of throughout the game. But at least it it didn't have. An effect really on the the result at the end of the day. The the best team, uh, the best team won. Mayo were the best team from, you know, 45, 50 minutes onwards. And like, it, scarcely believable to say that you know Dublin would score four points in what fifty five minutes of football. They would score their only point of extra time in the opening thirty seconds, and then they wouldn't score thereafter. And like, I've I don't think any of us will ever see a more gripping uh, period of extra time with no scores. Like that second period of extra time without a score was just, it was uh, Hollywood stuff, like real blockbuster kind of an ending without a score. But uh, just a, just an amazing game that had absolutely everything, really. Yeah, David, I'll just bring you in on, on that John Small incident. It is getting so much, you know, coverage today. And as Michael mentioned, a lot of social media comments and still followers being circulated. And I know they had a big debate about it on the Sunday game as well last night. What's your view on it? Um, my view is, well, one, that, you know, um, to wish Owen McLaughlin a speedy recovery from an absolutely horrific um, injury, um, like a double jaw, um, breaking your jaw uh, in two places um, is a serious injury to carry, not just, um, I know myself from doing it in my time, you carry that for the rest of your life. Um, <clears throat> look, at let's be straight. Um, no matter if you're looking at it on Twitter or replaying it or pausing it or stopping it, um, I would say I would like to say, and I feel as a player, Karen, you know this. There's times you 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 just you line up someone. Um, John Small had no real malice in what he was doing. Like he didn't intend to break his jaw, but you line up a player, and he got it wrong. But more importantly, the referee got it wrong. No matter what way you look at it, even in in the way. That you knew that um, um, Owen McLaughlin was gone. He was gone. He, he 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 was he was knocked out, hitting the ground. That's the that's the time you go. If the referee didn't see a free, so be it. But he stops the play, and you say to yourself, <clears throat> somebody somebody needs attention here or help. And um, and I do think that that incident um, affected the game, and it affected in a positive way for Mayo. Because I, I do think that Connor Lane knew he made a mistake, and then he refereed it that way. Um, I don't know, as, as we said, I don't know on the um, on the incident with um, Rob taking that retaking the, uh, the forty five. I don't know where that came out of myself. Uh, I, I can't see it, and I've I looked back, and you're going, Philly. Philly was 
30 yards away when the ball when, when Rob struck the first ball but Connor Connor Lane got it wrong um, and he's not it's not the first time he's got it wrong and the the big massive call he's got wrong in the past and he got it wrong on 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 on, uh, on um, Saturday as well and it's unfortunate a referee goes out to do his best um, but from from my perspective um, that's not good enough so it's not and it's not uh, it's not about just the horrific injury to um, to, to own um, it's about a number of things and uh, I do think that he uh, there was some calls after that even as a Mayo person I'm going Geez, that was soft enough for us but we'll take it um, but yeah 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 it shouldn't unfortunately have a it shouldn't be part of a was a review or an analysis, but um, that is that is the 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 role the referee plays, and uh, they can have they can have some um, very big very big um, calls to make, and he didn't make them, and, and there was you know from you know he was afraid to to, to show a number. I don't know, Basquell's black card for me was in between. There was probably two, if not three others black cards that you would yes say definitely without a doubt. That's what the rules say. And the weren't given, um, but again, I, I I don't think I don't uh, I do think that probably lifted Mayo from a perspective to say, well, here we're definitely in this on our own now. Um, James Horn, I have never seen him as animators. I've never seen the team doctor, um, Sean Moffat, as mad. Like we're up in the stands, we're watching on the screen, but these are the people on the pitch. And when I say a referee, a referee is a team, a team of officials, linesmen. Uh, and they need they need to make the big calls as well because if you have a guy that's 15 yards away officiating and you have a guy that's 10 yards that they can't see it, well then there's something wrong. Well, we might give Kieran the last word, so we'll, we'll talk about Mayo. I'm sure in our all Ireland preview in a few weeks' time. But for Dublin, Kieran, and I suppose reflecting the season going going forward, what does Desi Farrell do now? Like, do they you know recalibrate their style of play as you mentioned in attack? Does he get on the phone to? Jack McCaffrey and Paul Mania and, and kind of played with them to, to make themselves available. There's a Stephen Crooks an issue as well. There's, there's a lot of question marks from probably the first time in a long time. Yeah, there is. I suppose, you know, over the next few weeks it'll be, become clear what route Dublin have to follow. Um, you know, it's disappointing that Jack and, and uh, Paul weren't available uh, because I think that it would make a huge difference and, and maybe that question has got to be asked can they can can they get them back in the scene and why they're not there presently? But for me, I think Dublin have to go through a kind of a transition, and I think Desi's going to have to commit to trying to find four or five players uh, because I suppose let's be very honest about this: there's probably four or five in the current team that are uh, thir- north of thirty and and may not have much petrol left in the tank. They've been played in massive games the last ten years. They have a lot of miles on the clock, and you know. Maybe, you know, Desi is kind of kept with the same group of players that Jim Gavin had two years ago. And, and I really think the challenge over the next 12 to 18 months is really to try and transition new players in, commit to them, give them time in the jersey. You know, let's try and find two or three players, uh, similar to the approach probably that James Horan took uh, two years ago, uh, where you, ju- you just have to commit to it. And I think Dublin fans are going to have to be patient during that period. I think we could be, this could be the start of maybe a, a bleak couple of years while Dublin are still there. You can't just write them off after after uh, uh, Saturday's performance. 
uh, they're still one of the top teams, but maybe we have to take two steps back to take a few steps forward. Uh, and that's going to be Desi's key challenge over the, over, over the next 12 to 18 months, I think. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch. But for the meantime, Kieran, David, thanks so much for joining us. Always. Pleasure, guys. Well, it's now time to turn our attention to ladies football on the Throne podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. And we're delighted to be joined by Cork legend Breed Stack. Breed, how are you? Good. How are you keeping, lads? Good to be on with you. Good. No, thanks for joining us. Uh, commiserations, I suppose. You, your, your former team suffering a, a heartbreaking defeat and a dramatic defeat. But there's a lot of story it is for the sport, though, for me to, to qualify for that All Ireland final coming from the intermediate grade. You know, how big a shock is that for a team to, to kind of go from where they were to being in the All Ireland final? Yeah, uh, I think the weekend in general was a real, like, never say die um, attitude for, you know, across the men's and the women's. But, um, yeah, I suppose the, the Meath comeback was was something very, very special for Meath. Um, I suppose as Cork person, I definitely was disappointed that the girls didn't see out the game in real time, you know. And I felt that they could have drawn on a lot of experience, which they would have had in those kind of tight games down through the years. So, I suppose disappointing from that point of view, but you can't take away from Meath. They still had to finish a goal. They still had to go on and kick on an extra time. And they did that in, in great fashion. So the Meath story is like a fairy tale stuff, to be honest, you know. Um, I suppose in the end of 2016, um, they asked to regrade from senior. Um, you know, it was fairly obvious that they were on a real downward spiral. And, you know, I remember playing them in 2015 in a qualifier game. And I think we beat them by 40 points. So, you know, it wasn't good for anyone. Like it was, it wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for them. And I can imagine morale was was fairly low in Meath at that time. Um, so a massive decision had to be made um, to regrade. And I know that came up against a lot of opposition um, of some of the older girls from Meath, who I would have played against for years. Um, it's very, very hard when you're when you are senior status to to give that. Um, I suppose back and take that step back and. It's a bit of a blow to the ego, maybe a small bit, but it was very necessary. And like you have to give massive plaudits to Meath County Board for what they did um, to, to regrade the girls and start start the rebuilding that they did. And Meath went on in 2017, I think it was, they contested an intermediate semi-final. In 2018 and 19, they contested the intermediate finals, didn't get over the line. But like that hardness, and I suppose that grit was there and they got over the line in, in 2020 and um, and and are now up senior and in their first year now up senior to be contesting a, an All-Ireland senior final is the stuff of dreams, you know, and not just like even in championship, even in in, um, in league format, like they've gone from division three to division one. So, you know, it really is fairy tale stuff and massive plaudits must be given to both county board and to the players, um, you know, for, for sticking with a system and I suppose seeing it through to, to fruition now this year. Yeah, Mo, it's a great advertisement for, I suppose, that tiered system where you can build yeah. and grow across, you know, years and work your way up. I know going to the men's game, you know, they're maybe bringing yeah. in that divisional structure to allow teams grow year on year and compete with your level and and hopefully then reach the next level. Yeah, I do. I think it's, I think it's, I think it was really, really, um, I suppose, great foresight by ladies football in what they do now I do think the junior intermediate and senior uh, is probably too much of a step for the men's you know I probably do think that a two-tier system would be better um but like even when you look at the the system that the girls played this year in championship um I suppose they they played a group system and there was three teams per group in senior level there was four in one group I think and it just meant, you know, that there were girls playing games week on um, week. And then it just meant that there was great competition. And we saw some super games down through the championship in the ladies football. So, like, imagine if you put that into the men's structure 
and like you know you have maybe two two groups of 16 or whatever it is and like oh like the games and just that's what players want players want to be playing games they don't want to be training and I suppose the days of of the provincial championship really are are behind us now like you know and I suppose for the ladies structure they do have the possibility of playing um a provincial title after the All-Ireland but um I don't know whether whether teams would be still up for that but I definitely think this structure is definitely suiting teams very well and um yeah it's, it's great to see and thankfully we've had a, a great ladies championship you still don't expect uh, a team coming up from intermediate to have that sort of an impact though it's phenomenal and I suppose as, as Breed said there the the hardness and toughness that they've kind of developed been beaten in finals they were you know, they've been knocking on the door for a while. But even like, you know, Tipperary came up senior uh, a couple of years ago and made an impact, but I think they were actually relegated over the, over relegated, the weekend yeah. as well. Um, yeah. To actually get all the way through to a final and for me to be playing Dublin in, in a ladies final and two Leinster teams to be playing the final, I think the intermediate final is all Leinster as well. Uh, probably not something that will make you particularly happy, Breed, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's amazing. It, it really, really is. Um, I live in, in Dumbine in Mead here and the, uh, the, the want and thirst for the the women to do really well even after last year and even forward into this year. It's unbelievable from a, a court point of view as something you briefly mentioned. I'd imagine uh, if, you, uh, if you were on the pitch and a couple of your uh, maybe your more experienced colleagues back in the day, you'd be fairly uh, disappointed to be letting uh, a lead like that slip in the manner that you did, that you did. Although it was brilliant for me for Cork to let that slip in the way that they did, must have been very disappointing to watch on. Because Cork got that first goal and you felt right, okay, they're they're getting to grips with this game. And then I suppose when the second goal came, um, you thought it was kind of um job done. And um, I suppose Cork were very much in control. I think they were up two eight seven points at that stage with five minutes to go. So you really couldn't see a way back for me. And uh, I suppose Meath, in fairness to them, and, you know, the likes of Emma Duggan was absolutely outstanding. Like for a girl of 18 years of age, she really took on a massive role yesterday and um, she kicked a great point to bring it back to two eight to eight points. And then I suppose, um, you know, even with, I think it was a minute 30, I think was on the clock when Meath got, um, got that penalty. And you still kind of felt, you know, look, Cork will see this out, you know, they have the experience. So the goal was slotted by Stacey Grimes. And then like, Cork had to draw on their experience and it was a cardinal sin to go short at that time. Um, and I suppose that was the biggest thing that we, that I suppose looking on at the match, you would have felt that Cork needed to go long. They needed to force maybe um, a free or, you know, they just needed to keep ball, keep possession, but keep it away from danger with, with a goal in it. And, you know, they didn't, they opted to go short. Um, I think Martina, Martina played to Marie Ambrose who had Vicky Wall and Emma Duggan, probably two most you know, influential players for Meath yesterday coming on her and got overturned. Now, in fairness to Meath, they still had a bit of work to do and like three soft, lovely hand passes and Emma Duggan was at the tail end of it then to, to slot home. So like massive credit has to go to Meath. But yeah, I suppose from a Cork point of view, given how many All-Ireland finals, how many All-Ireland semifinals that they've been in, you would have expected a, a cooler kind of haze towards the, towards the end. Yeah, Michael, and as you mentioned, it sets up an All-Ireland final, an All-Leinster clash between Meath and Dublin, who are now into their eighth All-Ireland final in a row. They're going for five in a row themselves. You know, what, what did you make of their victory over Mayo? They, they, they seem to have them at arm's length for most of the game, even though Mayo got two first-half goals to maybe kind of make it a little more of a contest, but Dublin did seem to be reasonably comfortable. Is that fair? Yeah, it's funny. I was in Crow Park yesterday. I was covering the Offaly game, and uh, a high-profile LGFA uh, person who shall re remain nameless came in with five minutes to go and said, uh, 
another another Cork Dublin final, and uh, they were left with they were left with egg in their face maybe twenty or twenty five minutes later. But uh, Dublin definitely kept up their side of their side of the bargain anyway. Um, like they, they kind of always had Mayo at arm's length, and Hannah Tyrrell, who was I think she got married on on Thursday, you know, and she was brilliant. She was brilliant again on Saturday. Um, and they just even like. To, to do what they did without Carla Rowe, who's probably the most informed player in the country at the moment, is, you know, it's a fair testament. And, like, obviously, Noel Healy's gone since last year as well. So it's a fair testament to the squad that they have. Uh, some interesting comments after uh, from, from Mick Bohan. And I think it was all kind of unprompted about, you know, people suggesting that they're, you know, a cynical team or that they, you know, there's elements of, of cynicism in their play, which I thought was interesting considering, to me anyway, um, I, I don't watch, you know, maybe ladies football religiously throughout the year, but, you know, the, the four or five games that I see of them playing throughout the year, uh, they're very, very easy on the eye. It's very, they're very easy to watch. Um, all good teams, as Breed will tell you, um, you can't be like unbelievably nice the whole time. That's just not the way it is. There are times when you just have to toe the line and do whatever you have to do to get over the line. But I think he said they've been averaging something like three fourteen um, in games. Like, and if that's if that's what a cynical team is doing, um, I, I I I don't I, I can't really from everything I've seen. I don't think they're a particularly cynical team. But uh, again, you when you're going for a five in a row and there's elements of complacency could possibly sit in you probably need uh anything just to justify your cause even a bit more and it seems to me that uh that that has definitely sprung them into action a bit more and they're going to be they're going to be raging half favorites going into the final now you'd have to say yeah Bree, what did you make of mick bohan's comments about that kind of cynical side to their play do, do you think there is first do you think there is a cynical side to their play do you think that that is a fair comment to make about them um yeah like like michael said you know any team that is going for five in a row um, like that, you definitely don't want a bit of complacency to come in. So, yeah, look, there's there's always going to be a time where you're going to maybe play on the edge a bit. And you always need a couple of players that do play on the edge in any team, you know. Um, I think it comes back to the semi-final versus Donegal. There was probably a lot of uh, call um, for the referee to impose cards, which probably weren't imposed in the semi-final. So, I know probably um, Max Fernia, he called it out a lot after the after the semi-final. And I think Mick Bohan drew on that then like that, basically that the girls are, I suppose, a different animal now, that they're leaner, stronger, that they're in the gym a lot more, that, you know, the rules need to adapt for that. So in that point of view, I do, I do agree. Um, I do think it's the inconsistency in the refereeing that's more an issue than anything else. Um, you know, like we saw in the Donegal game that there were uh, things left go that yesterday um, weren't left go. So um, I know it's just, and like, I suppose the big thing for Dublin probably and why people are calling out on a bit of cynicism is, yes, they are mounting up these massive scores, but they're also um, getting a lot of cards as well. Um, and then maybe getting, maybe not getting as many cards as they should be getting. So like, you know, without fail, they're getting um, sin bins in most games. So I think that's that's probably a lot of it. Too. Like, you know, we saw yesterday that there was Simbin on, on Alwyn Carey. Um, or sorry, on Saturday that there was Simbin on Alwyn Carey as well. Now, granted, I thought that Rachel kind of, Rachel Kearns, you know, had a bit of cuteness there in that way. Um, so it, it does come down to the referee's interpretation of kind of what a Simbin is. And um, I think that there's a lot of inconsistency there still, which is frustrating watching games sometimes. Um, but look, that's, that's kind of what we're dealt with at the moment. But... Cynicism. I don't think they're massively cynical, but I think look, there is that element of play where you have to play on the edge. And look, they they have a couple of players that do that, and you know, 
it has gotten them over the over the line, and I can imagine that it'll get them over the line again this year. Yeah, Breed, and I suppose if they do get over the line, it'll be five in a row for Dublin, and that's coming off the back of you know Cork doing six in a row, and then a five in a row prior to that with Dublin only winning it. So it's only two teams then who would have won, I think, 16 yeah. All-Irelands in a row. Is You know, while we were kind of talking about some of the positives of the sport there earlier with the tiered systems, is it... Would you, is there any concerning part of just two teams divvying up all the all the senior titles? Yeah, there is massive concern, obviously. You want other teams to step to the fore. And I suppose before we um, got into a, a big rivalry with Dublin, um, in, I'd say, six if not more of our All-Ireland finals, um, we played against different oppositions. There was different opposition in most years. And then I suppose Dublin started to really come to the fore and we played Dublin consistently then for, you know, three, four, three, four years. So, you know, I suppose what has happened in the last couple of years is, is there drop-offs in underage structures? Is there drop-offs in the amount of uh, resources that other teams have available to them? Um, why is there such a disparity between the top two and, and the next few? But I suppose the biggest, um, I suppose, p- piece of optimism that you can have over the weekend is that Meath, you know, I suppose this was their real litmus um, against Cork and to see them come out and to do, to do what they did and to get over the line is a real show that like this can be done. And if you have the right system in place, if you have a county board that backs it, like I know that me put in a lot of GDOs as well over the last couple of years. So there's massive work being done um, in counties like Meat, and they're really reaping the rewards. So you would hope that that would have a knock-on effect for, for many counties across the board um, because there's a great um, or there's great possibility of, a, of super championships there for many years to come, um, given the way that the structure is. So you would just hope that a lot of counties would really step up to the mark now and, and I suppose, drive things forward. Yeah, hopefully we get a, an intriguing all Ireland final as well. But for the moment, Bree, thanks so much for joining us. No matter. Thanks, lads. That's all we have time for on this week's episode of the Throwing Podcast in association with Board Cash Energy. We'll be back later this week with an all Ireland hurling final preview where myself and Michael will be joined by Galway legend, recently retired Galway legend, Joe Canning. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen at independent.ie. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the Core.